Welcome to the Multiverse of Momo podcast. For each week, our resident Momo guys, Aaron and Danny Greenlee, we had to take a, a dive into the crazy corner of the ever-expanding multi, uh, Marvel multiverse. Where yeah, we each topic we discuss, uh, actually, and this week will be uh, talk about Namor. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So, which is uh, Namor is like uh, Marvel's like Atlantean. Yep. <laughs> We've uh, touched up on him a bit here with uh, the Golden Age stuff because he is yeah. like the oldest Marvel character there is. Uh, yeah, uh, as Dan and I were uh, discovering through our research, uh, though his credited first appearance is Marvel Comics number one, which we covered in episode one, uh, the story included therein is actually reprinted from a slightly earlier book from the precursor to Timely Comics. Um, or uh sorry not the perker so the very first thing associated with timely comics supposedly some sort of uh promotional book given out to movie theaters in 1939 but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of information about the distribution of it like whether it's an official like comic book release or numbers are so limited that it's considered to be like a a side thing um it's something that can be dug into later on but uh for the main thing Namor, his first appearance, Marvel Comics number one, as far as the Golden Age and all the other stuff are concerned. And yeah, uh, we covered that story. But just to take a couple of specific Namor notes, uh, the story tells us that Namor, uh, he was born sometime around uh, 1920, 21, give or take. Uh, It gets retconned later to 1915, but different writers seem to disagree on which one to follow and i tend to see the 1920 number used more frequently so namor is just a kid when uh he's in his first appearance only like 18 or 19 maybe uh he's never seen a surface man before and a couple of divers in the old school uh big clunky outfits come down and namor mistakes them for robots trashes them murders them and brings them home to mama uh where we meet uh his mother you do yeah well you know you find something unusual <laughs> and you're a kid you're like hey i gotta show this off this is cool hey no ma mind. look what i found yeah. <laughs> and he brings him back pops him open and finds like oh crap we killed surface men and his mother is totally fine with it princess fen is just oh no that's cool kill off surface men and namor is again as you do well, Namor's a little confused, like he knows his own father is a surface man. So oh, okay. Fen goes on to tell the story about how, you know. So it, it, is, so it is quite like Aquaman, where it's like the you know, the mom was a queen or whatever. Or, yeah, or, uh, or I don't movie. believe his father or his uh, grandfather had been named until uh, the Marvel uh, stuff in the 60s. Okay. But uh, yeah, his mother, Princess Fen was sent by her father, the the king of the Atlanteans, up to the surface to figure out what was going on with all these explosions that are 
rocking their city. Uh, up on the surface, uh, the ship called the Oracle, captained by Leonard McKenzie, has been dropping death charges to blast away all the ice, and they are completely oblivious to the fact that there is an entire civilization down there. Yeah, so the Atlanteans wanted to declare war, and Fen's like, nah, let me, let me do some reconnaissance. She goes up, hangs out, and ends up falling in love with uh, Leonard. Uh, gets pregnant with uh, the baby Namor, and unfortunately, she spends way too long away from uh, her uh, people under the surface, and they send a search party under for the her. Sea. Yeah, it's under not so sea. nice as in Little Mermaid. They friggin' slaughter the crew of the Oracle. Okay. Uh, it is believed that Namor's father is killed during this encounter, but uh, years later, you know, as you are wont to do in comics when the death is not definitive... Oh, they survived. And here are the convoluted circumstances as how. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Leonard's left dead and Fen retreats back down to Atlantis to give birth to the pink-skinned, uh, wing-finned Namor. Oh, yeah, because he has like the, the, the fin feet or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, originally they were depicted as being wings and have been described as such. Uh, I believe in even Namora, uh, Namorita, sorry, uh, yeah, describes who's who's uh, his niece. Uh, she's oh, okay. a member of the New Warriors. Okay. Um, early uh, Namor character, but she actually describes feathers uh, on those little fins down there. So kind of like kind of like dinosaurs, like how we figure that they're now. Yeah, like yeah. Like they okay. they don't ever like I've never seen anything about them being avian wings, but. Yeah, they got feathers. Uh, they do assist in flying. Um, whether or not they are the exact source of propulsion for them is is questionable. Uh, Namor has lost his uh, a couple times, uh, got them back a couple times, but when he lost his wings, he lost the ability to fly. Conversely, his cousin Namora, uh, who is from the Golden wait, wait, Age, he, wait, he could fly. Yep. Yeah, Namor can fly. <laughs> You still does. this? This yeah, is one of the things that outclasses, or that makes him outclass uh, Aquaman. Is pretty much anything Aquaman can do, Namor can do as well, and Namor can do more than that. Namor can fly. Um, but did Namor have a hook hand though? No, no. Namor uh, has a bipolar disorder and yeah, very an oxygen much so. imbalance in his blood. So uh, you know, he still has uh, the disability card he can play if he wants to. <laughs> If they don't know what you want to play. And, I, and with yeah. uh, Marvel number one, is it kind of like action number one where there's like two or three different stories in it? Like, right? there were yeah, several yeah. Stories. yeah. If you remember when like, we covered it, that's where we saw like the namesake for Kazar of the Savage uh, Land. Okay. Uh, the original Golden Age Angel was in there, but okay. more importantly, the Human Torch. Uh, oh, Carl oh, yeah, right. Human yeah Torch. like the original one with like, yeah, yeah. Where, it's like, where it's not there, it's like a robot or something. Or, yeah, the, the yeah. Android Human Torch. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. that was also part of what led to Namor. Uh, being more of a big draw in the 40s was uh, Bill Everett, Namor's creator, and Carl Burgos, uh, Human Torch's creator, had those two characters go at it. They battled quite frequently until the start of World War II. Or at least until the Americans got pulled into it. Well, they have uh, the American involvement. Uh, in yeah, so yeah. Yes. To, to be specific. Because again, the war had started by that point that they were all introduced. Yeah. yeah I um, think that is they started it. I see how it is. But yeah, getting back to his powers there. So the, the flight thing has always been somewhat disputed among creators because uh, his cousin, Namora, also from the Golden Age, she can fly, but did not originally have wings on her ankles, as I was uh, interested to find out. Because 
my big exposure to her was when she got brought back into the Marvel Universe uh, in uh, the uh, Agents of Atlas uh, miniseries from the 2000s. And when she gets brought back to, to life in that one, she's got the ankle wings. Um, but the, again, they don't see, it, it varies depending how much influence they have on their flight abilities. It seems that for uh, Namora and her daughter Namorita, the wings just uh, add to the maneuverability of their flying prowess. Whereas in Namor, it, without them, whether he physically or psychologically, he just can't fly without those wings. Um, but when it comes to flying, he is, um, like he's not on say like the Sentry or North Stars uh, level when it comes to flying, but he's one of those guys that, you know, generally does not need a vehicle to travel around the world. Uh, as far as the power set goes, it's quite handy. It is. Uh, his strength uh, varies depending on his uh, exposure to water, uh, but generally in the 80 to 100 ton range. Which... So, like, so I guess the closer you water, the more powerful. Or, oh, yeah. Or, if he's completely saturated with water, he can go toe to toe with the Hulk. Or then, then, then the reverse, the farther away. He, he the more dried out he gets. Yeah. But he still does maintain his super strength um like i've seen examples of him like being severely dehydrated due to enemy tampering like you know trapped in a device and he still has the physical strength to break that device just destroy it um but yeah if he's in the water that's instantly rejuvenating to him it's it's like if popeye could just slather spinach on his skin <laughs> yeah, it's making me think of that uh, Spider-Man, that animated series uh, with Hydro-Man, because I just watched that the other day with uh, with a uh, Mary Jane that away from the uh, water and stuff. And the, the Mary Jane Batman that was Law. I kind of hope that that animated Mary Jane shows up in the next Spider-Man movie. If they're right. doing this whole bringing in elements from different things, yeah, I yeah, really, finish, finish really up hope. Story. Like, yeah, because she's been missing for since yeah, the end of that series. Yeah, because like the last thing is, like, is Spider-Man swinging away and saying like, "I need to find Mary Jane." Yeah, it's it's almost as bad as uh, the his namesake Peter Petrelli leaving his girlfriend behind in a future that he undoes, like. This character is lost to the multiverse. Like, what the hell happened to them? Just gone. But yeah, that, but that's a whole tangent there. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but we uh, should yeah, uh, probably try to move up to more to the uh, modern age here. We did touch a lot of. Uh, actually, I yeah, no, of, we're we're getting there. The only thing that I want to really speaking of that animated series before we get on, I oh, forgot yeah. to mention last week we have a we have a theme song which is somewhat based on that uh, animated uh, Spider-Man theme. Yeah, so. same same sort of aesthetic yeah, as yeah, no, uh, that. Uh, yeah the only thing to really touch up on namor uh from the golden age before we move on to his uh, fantastic four stuff is um his power set uh was really huge in the golden age and it was that big when he got brought back in fantastic four but as the years go by writers either forget or simply write out these abilities uh and another interesting thing is at least three characters, three female characters in his uh, series uh, date back to the Golden Age. Uh, Namora, uh, Lady Dorma, and uh, the policewoman uh, Betty Dean. Uh, they're all from the Golden Age, and they're all uh, relevant in the Silver Age. Um, so getting to the Silver Age, we all know how... Uh, from the Fantastic Four stories that uh, Human Torch found Namor living as a bum in the Bowery with amnesia and yes. some weird aversion to water. Uh, 
during our research for this, we found that uh, Wikipedia doesn't really want to tell you how Namor got that amnesia. Yeah, they really don't. There, if I go back to it, there was a very obtuse reference to uh, um, some event. Let's see, where was it? Can't even find it now. But it just refers to like, uh, and oh yeah, Namor was soon injured after the genus incident in Stony Plain, Alberta. And there's no footnote or anything to explain Alberta. what that is. And it doesn't conform with anything that I learned reading the comics themselves. And why would Namor be in Alberta? Yeah. yeah like, like, like how much water is in Alberta? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, was, was he assaulting the Canadian Navy? <laughs> Uh, uh, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, at that uh, big ball of the, like the three subs are over the hook. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's I, I it's the one thing that really stood out when I was trying to do the research, like figuring out like okay, his amnesia is such a big part of not only his reintroduction to the Marvel universe, but who he is. Like even yeah. for years afterwards, like even when he's like right in the head, he would admit, my memory has never been the best. It's been somewhat fallible. Uh, Maybe so I've that, met you before, but I don't know it. So uh, we like to call that pulling the Wolverine. No, not not the same. Like Wolverine, they always tried but, to play the mysterious thing with him and not really had a cohesive plan. Like if it was all left up to Claremont, Wolverine would be a much more cohesive character in terms yeah, of his backstory and everything. They didn't really start nailing down what Wolverine was going to be until the early 80s when they did his miniseries. Before that, there were ideas, but they never really explored anything about him because, well, honestly, Claremont didn't really have a lot of interest in writing the guy until John Byrne took over and started coming up with better ideas for him. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't even, like, the first appearance of Wolverine, he didn't have, like, the claws didn't come out there were, like, gloves or whatever the fuck. Well, that was one of the plans for that character. Or something. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of weird plans for the, the character yeah. Wolverine that got altered uh, right on the fly. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, with Wolverine, like there's more of a deliberate thing, whereas Namor, it's just part of his character. I mean, Stanley brought him back with the amnesia thing, and I don't think he had any real plans for why he had the amnesia. He just has it. It was just, yeah. yeah well, Stan, just Stan would just be like, character. here's how we get him in here. Just, we'll we'll yeah. throw this idea out there, and then we'll just go forward from there. We won't even look back. And that was very much how he wrote a lot of stuff back in those days. Yeah, even with him being pretty on top of the character of Namor, uh, it's not for several years that he finally let somebody else besides Bill Everett uh, take care of Namor in the modern universe. But uh, Stan's pretty direct on it for a little while. And it is, from the stuff I've read, it's some of his better writing. I mean, he's still spread thin at this era. But he seems to treat Namor with uh, the respect he knows Namor deserves as being a legacy character even this early in their series. And um, back, back in those days a lot, Namor would appear pretty much everywhere. Like he fought probably everybody. He showed oh, up yeah. multiple times in Fantastic Four, showed up in X-Men, like showed up all over the place. Yeah, he, I mean, he was one of their more popular characters at the point. In, in the 60s, he's the 60s equivalent of what Venom and Cable and Ghost Rider all were like throughout the 90s. Uh, oh, yeah, so you just... Oh, we, we, we want to... <laughs> no, we want to bump up uh, Nosability on this title. We'll put uh, this hot character in there. Everybody <laughs> loves this character. He's a bad boy. Uh, make Namor show. But uh, going through uh, his uh, history here, there. Um, one of the things I took note about uh, Atlanteans in general was in yeah. the very first appearance, uh, Fenn says how she can breathe air for up to five hours. And it's noted how like that's the max for an Atlantean. And most Atlanteans can't even breathe it for that long. Okay. Uh, that gets retconned into being Atlanteans cannot breathe uh, on the surface 
uh, not without uh, the aid of uh, like a chemical uh, pill or something. And they even stopped doing that because the writers decided that uh, that was carcinogenic. Yeah, because they don't want to see them uh, take yeah, see your heroes yeah. taking pills. Well, no, no, no. It was no different than like uh, Reed Richards taking an oxygen pill to be able to breathe underwater. Just for some reason, they decided that Atlanteans needed to have a little bit more uh, limited uh, ability on the surface. Well, I mean, they kind of had to come up with more reasons for why the Atlanteans wouldn't necessarily take over the world sometimes, right? Or destroy the world, at least. Yeah, but even still, like, only a five-hour limit that only, like, you know, the most genetically gifted of uh, Atlanteans can hope for. Like, yeah, even that's still a limitation. Um, before we leave World War II, at the time, Namor had been part of a short-lived all-winners squad. So there was contemporary uh, 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 issues of him participating in World War II. But there's only a few issues of that series. Uh, the later Invaders series comes in the 70s from Roy Thomas. Uh, that, if we ever touch up on that, it'll be its whole other uh, series or his own, own, its own other episode. But uh, it was the retconning of what a lot of these Marvel heroes were doing during their time in the war. So that's the big three of Submariner, Human Torch, and Captain America, and what they were doing overseas, uh, bringing the fight to the, the Nazis. Um, good series. There's some surprises there, but it's, it's so much more of its own thing that we don't really need to uh, cover it with Namor. Um, getting on to uh, his early Fantastic Four stuff. Um, most of it is spent moping about how his civilization is lost. Like from the moment he gets dumped so. in, like well, from the lost. moment he gets dumped in the water by Human Torch, by Johnny Storm, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, he goes in search of his people, and the first Atlantean city he comes across has been devastated through uh, what appears to be a nuclear war. Uh, he figures humans been uh, doing their tests and have blown up the city, and he's lost his people. So this is why he's so. Uh, rage filled against the surface is because now that he's been able to go back to his people his people aren't there so the next few appearances are either him trying to find his people or moping about how he can't find his people until fantastic four annual number one where all of a sudden he's reunited with his people and there's no actual explanation for it um I never got around to reading uh, Saga of the Submariner um, just because of all the other stuff I was reading, but it's uh, a big flashback series that uh, fills in a lot of gaps in Namor's story. My suspicion is that one is going to explain how he reunited with his own people. It was just something that Stan didn't feel like telling at the time. But once he gets back to his people, they start wanting to uh, assault the surface uh, world. Um, this is also where his uh, love, Lady Dorma, uh, is reintroduced to the Marvel Universe. Uh, she was his betrothed uh, childhood companion, never really cared about her romantically until it becomes pretty clear that he's not got a chance with Sue Storm. Um, Dorma is... Uh, yeah, because um, it wasn't known for a while, but just trying to pick up like Sue like in front of uh, Reed. Yeah, when like, he, well, this was also back when Sue and Reed were, you know, not married and hell, Reed hadn't even professed his love for Sue. No, we were so on a first, break. At first, no, not even matter, that. Right? He, <laughs> for, first, he didn't realize his feelings. And then when he did realize his feelings, he didn't know how to talk to her about it. And like, this goes on for years in Fantastic Four. Oh, really? 
oh yeah like i was reading issue like 30 something and like he's still mm. wishy-washy over you know how he feels about sue and sue's getting kind of pissed off because she knows it so yeah she she's a little bit enthralled with the attention that this like massive muscled naked guy keeps showing her no of course she's a little bit interested hey hey, how you doing uh let's see here continuing on i i took i took a lot of notes here Um, what was i saying 70 years yeah 70 years this character's been around so be old anymore actually 80 years sorry 80 years yeah yeah Yeah. no the character uh if if you go by his original uh birth date and the one that john byrne uh, decides to go with yeah the character is 101 years old okay dude you old Uh, there's a few of them that are uh, up there you know without being the ancient ones um yeah continuing uh through uh his stuff here he's, so yeah uh, so that uh, does that means like well wolverine's older than he yeah, is, wolverine's right? still older than wolverine's him. older um i do believe mystique and destiny are older mm-hmm. than him yeah, yeah there's there's, there's a wait, few who's, who's destiny destiny is mystique's wife she uh, was an x-men character who um had the ability to see the future she could see potential futures and as they got closer to the present she'd have a better idea of it so a lot of mystique stuff in the early days was basically miss destiny saying hey this is going to happen we're going to do this yeah that's why mystique is perceived as being a terrorist is because without knowing that she's following the instructions of a precog it just looks like she's out to mess shit up but uh little note about uh, destiny she's uh, appropriated from sherlock holmes stories uh, the name Irene Adler is deliberate with that character. I, know, I, was, I was wondering why that uh, why that sounded familiar. Well, it's worth noting because the name Destiny is going to come back up uh, during our Namor discussion, and it's not going to be the same Destiny. Um, during the the early '60s, given Namor's status as an outsider and an anti-hero, who better to team him up than that other outsider and anti-hero, the Incredible Hulk? <laughs> so there's uh, a couple of stories where, uh, you know, Namor figures that the two of them have a mutual uh, distrust and hatred of humanity, and that makes them natural allies. But, uh, well, in the early days, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, say-so between the Hulk and Bruce Banner about when they transformed. So when Hulk spontaneously reverts to Banner in the middle of a throwdown, and Banner just takes off and leaves... Yeah, uh, they don't really find too many reasons. Well, he doesn't know what's going on, and Namor doesn't see Hulk turn back into Banner, and he doesn't really know about Banner at this time. So, yeah, it's it's a understandable mistake between the two of them. <laughs> but uh, with his uh, this idea of finding uh, maybe uh, another ally, you know, he he's talked to Doom. He talks to Magneto. Uh, Daniel, you ended up reading X-Men number six, of course. So what happens in that one, though, is uh, both Professor X and Magneto figure out about Namor at the same time. They decide that he's a mutant. How often does this happen in early X-Men where a new mutant is discovered and it's a race to find them first? Fairly frequently, at least during, the, che- Stanley, at least during the Stanley era. Just um, checking. They get down to it, and it's been a while since I read through the issue again, so I can't remember exactly how it all plays out. But he generally teams up more with Magneto because Magneto is more along the lines of, hey, we'll, we'll kill all the humans. Who gives a fuck, right? Conquer humanity. And then by the end of it, I think the X-Men kind of proved to Namor that Magneto was a piece of crap, so Namor went off in his own way. 
Yeah, and uh, I believe uh, there's there was some evidence that uh, Xavier had previously uh, dealt with Namor. I forget if that's a retcon or not. But the, the big thing from that issue is that that's the first time they really uh, refer to Namor as uh, a mutant yeah, uh, he, in, yeah, in the context of the Marvel Universe mutants. Yeah, because being... yeah, at one point he was billed as like the first mutant, right? Yeah, because yeah. uh, still going, is. Okay. Going back to your shock over his ability to fly, mm. well, yeah, that's not something natural to <laughs> uh, an Atlantean at all. And this is one of the things that uh, contributes to Namor being an outright mutant rather than just a straight hybrid Atlantean the way Aquaman is over in the DC universe. Um, like uh, in his uh, earliest appearances all the way up to the early 60s, Namor could do anything that could be done by undersea life. He could inflate himself like a puffer fish. He could channel electricity like an electric eel. Anything he could do. He could sing he, a song and make a man fall in love with a mermaid. Probably. Potentially. Probably. <laughs> uh, he could use I am a, in. He could use a radar sense the same way that Daredevil could. Do, 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 do. Yeah, exact same way as Daredevil could. He doesn't need, didn't need his eyes. Uh, at a certain point, uh, some writers retcon some of this stuff and decide a lot of these more extravagant abilities uh, are just lost. But some of the other stuff, like his ability to uh, summon and control undersea life, yeah. Aquaman can do that. Namor can do that too. Although, as a DC fan, could Aquaman, post crisis Aquaman, we're talking since it's relevant to both characters, John Byrne, uh, post crisis Aquaman, could he outmuscle post crisis John Byrne Superman? No. Uh, I, See, because that's the thing. I've read that that Superman has like a, an upper strength limit of 80 tons. Namor in the water goes above that. Oh, really? Now, I'm not at all going to try and touch Earth 2 classic Golden Age Superman. I mean, anybody would be a fool to. Yeah. But uh, depowered post-crisis John Byrne Superman? Yeah, there's indication that Namor is stronger than him. And that's... Take that, Superman. Yeah, and like that's, that's an insane strength level for an Atlantean. Yeah. Like, Atlanteans are stronger than humans, but not no, that not much like that. stronger. So, like, they're, this is the first time they really uh, use the, the mutant moniker with Namor, although I've never seen anything that indicates that uh, his mutation is due to an X factor. Never. Like, is has that come up with the recent X-Men stuff with uh, Utopia? Like, well, is Namor the, the, the welcome the on... stuff? No, yeah. no, because remember what I told you about how that worked was when Professor X invited everybody to Atlanta or to uh, Utopia or whatever, sorry, uh, uh, Krakoa. Krakoa um, yeah. Namor basically, you know, turned down the invitation because uh, Namor doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks about him. He likes has. the idea that Professor X is starting to figure that out, but he's waiting for Professor X to actually fully understand it before Namor's going to join up. So there's, he's never had an attempt to go through the portals to Krakoa. Nope. Okay. But he wouldn't so, need to. He, he no, wouldn't uh, need to wait, anyway that, because he's Krakoa? in Atlantis. So the current X Men stories. Um, did you ever end up reading the story about how like Wolverine and Storm and all of them joined the X-Men? Giant size X-Men, number one, all no. new, all different. Professor no. X found out about a new mutant that was on an island. He sends the X-Men to an island. They all get captured by something and only Cyclops makes it back. 
not knowing what to do. Professor X turns around and forms a whole new generation of X-Men. There's a lot more to this that gets revealed later, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> we're not going to cover <laughs> Second Genesis? <laughs> well, this is Second Genesis. We're not going to cover, yeah, the rest of it. Anyway. The, the Genesis 1.5? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's where the team of Wolverine and Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler all join up. They go to this island and find out the island itself is the mutant. And this island is Krakoa, which is like a living island and whatnot. They defeat it and, you know, go on. Quite, quite cruelly and brutally, I might add. Oh, so, like, it's kind of, so it's like kind of like they need the island? Okay, they yeah. they basically... They eject them into space. Yeah, they, hmm. they, they swamp thing it. The <laughs> they like just fully like, thump, like, nope, you are just not allowed on earth and just rocket the island uh, off into yeah. the into space so now the current x-men stories which we have which are the the whole house of x um professor x who is believed to be dead is alive and comes up with this whole plan of going to krakoa and making a deal with it having all the mutants come and live there they'd use krakoa to grow new plants make new medicines they make these portals from krakoa that allow them to get a teleport all around the world if they need they've got and, a whole mutant society set up yeah they, they basically set up the mutation on this island of krakoa Nice. And then that's what's been going on with X-Men from House of X on so far, although I uh, imagine that they're starting to build towards the end of it because I just, I have a feeling that the, you know, it, they did, they did it's got a fi- it has a finite lifespan. They did the House of X, is and they did, then they did Dawn of X, and now they're doing Reign of X, so I mean, obviously the next part's going to be Fall of X, right? I mean, hey, hey, hey you're forgetting a Twilight. Oh, yeah, true. Well, actually, the next part's the Inferno. And not, not the old Dennis. Inferno. This, this is the Inferno where Mystique's going to go burn the whole island down because they won't resurrect her wife. Because now, oh, yeah, that's the thing like, you're X Men can go to bed down the ground. Oh, so that's, so that's where the, the headline I saw recently is like where like uh, Mystique killed a bunch of people for one person or some such or something. Yeah, basically, so. Mystique's gone off and she's been doing everything that Magneto and Professor X have been asking of her in order to get Destiny back. And they won't do it. And in fact, the most recent thing she did, she failed that. So they're just like, yeah, you're never getting Destiny back. But again, we talked about how Destiny knows the future. So. Years back, Destiny warned her about all this shit. Even if Mystique didn't understand it at the time, Destiny warned her about all of it and told her, if they don't bring me back, you burn that island down. So that's what's going to happen. And I'm really looking forward to reading this story. Yeah, it just got me curious. Like, is that, like, if that had anything to do with uh, whether or not Namor had an X Factor? Because, like I said, I've never seen it one way or another. Again, it's, um, yeah, that, that was him getting introduced. Namor shows up at the end of House of X and hasn't really been touched up since then. Yeah. Because he doesn't care. It's it's not he doesn't big deal. They finally figured it out they act like they're better than humans. Namor's been doing that his entire life. Big deal. You got a lot to go, a long way to go. Uh, continuing on through what we got here. Uh, quick note: uh, Strange Tales number one twenty five. What I wrote down here: Johnny and Ben sabotage an attempt by Mister Fantastic to broker peace with Namor because they're idiots. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That, that's pretty much how Ben and Johnny are treated for a lot of the early uh, Fantastic Four stories. They're constantly pranking each other and just being childish idiots. And in this one, they, they decide they're going to impress uh, Reed by taking out Namor once and for all because Namor is he's in the city. He's coming towards them. And they go and start a big fight only to find out that Namor had been invited by Reed and Sue to finally like hash things out like sensible <laughs> grown people. Um, but uh, yeah, I got up to Fantastic Four 33, which is where Reed still hadn't professed his love to Sue. But that's where we get the first appearance of Atuma. Oh, he is one of the uh, the bigger uh, Sam or, or Submariner uh, enemies. Uh, 
uh, tyrannical uh, warlord exiled from uh, Atlantis. Um, this is the, the first time in the modern age that Lady Dorma betrayed Namor. Yes, she completely assumes that a tyrannical warlord is going to keep his promise not to hurt Namor. It goes out exactly how you figure. Mm -hmm. And of course, Namor knows about her betrayal, still forgives her. Uh, not long after, uh, the Avengers have their recruitment drive in issue 16, where a couple of members get burnt out and leave Captain America. Cap's crazy uh, quartet or kooky quartet. Yeah, where they have uh, Hawkeye join. Um, I think it was Hawkeye Swordsman. Um, that was Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Witch, Witch and, uh, Quicksilver. and Quicksilver. Yeah. Uh, they approach Namor to join, and Namor just outright refuses them. Uh, next is a good one. Uh, the first masterworks for uh, Namor. Uh, any of you listeners out there who want to get the best print versions to read masterworks is where to go they're all the earliest stories uh the first submariner one uh for the silver age stuff covers marvel comics number one but it also includes daredevil number seven which is kind of cute um namor decides he's going to use the new york legal system to sue the world for atlantean dominance <laughs> so yeah he goes to the offices of nelson and murdoch to <laughs> hire them to you know, sue for whatever. Uh, they quite sensibly tell him that this can't be done because A, there is simply no precedent for suing for control over the world, nor is there any single unifying surface world government to <laughs> present this case to. So <laughs> Namor gets frustrated because they won't help him <laughs> and storms off in a huff. <laughs> there, there's some, some quite comedic... Uh, uses of Namor being so it's not, it's not quite how the surface for uh, surface world works buddy yeah but he tried <laughs> he tried Th this is this is why i recommended you read that indefensible story adam just yeah. because this this is the sort of Namor that <laughs> is the most fun where like he's just so haughty and full of his regal monarchy that anything below that is just incomprehensible to him like some of the quips that uh, Banner makes against him in that miniseries just fly right over Namor's head, but he's still insulted because it's something that Banner said to him. <laughs> Fuck you, Banner. Basically, like, if I knew what that meant, I would kill you where you stand. <laughs> I'd be more mad. <laughs> um, as we continue on, uh, we get to his first ongoing series, Tales to Astonish, uh, which was... Uh, one of the anthology books because of the unique publishing uh, avenue that Marvel had to go through. Psst, they're actually being published by DC at this time. They were really limited for how many titles they could put out for a month. So that's why there are so many bi-monthly titles and why a lot of titles have multiple characters. Tales to Astonish uh, was headlined by Submariner and the Incredible Hulk. You have about 10 pages of Namor, 10 pages of Hulk. Um, this is the first actual continuing saga for Submariner, dealing with him actually being the royal monarch of Atlantis. Uh, 
his warlord Krang uh, usurps his throne in his kingdom. Once again, like, Lady like, Dorma betrays him. Like no, Krang not the not the Utrom Krang from Ninja Turtles. This predates that. And you know it. <laughs> you know it, you Ninja Turtles fanboy. Besides, <laughs> Krang, out there. besides, Krang is not in the original Turtles comics. There's just our friendly little TCRI Utroms. But uh, this Atlantean Krang um, feels that uh, Namor has not been the uh, the monarch that Atlanteans deserve, so he takes over himself. Once again, Lady Dorma is tricked into betraying Namor, um, pretty stupidly this time. Uh, Krang sends some big doomsday monster after Namor, confident that Namor will never be able to beat it because Krang's being helped by the puppet master and has a special puppet of this monster to control it. Otherwise, it would be mindless. Once the puppet shorts out, Namor has no trouble taking out the mindless monster. But Krang still bluffs Lady Dorma into thinking that he's relinquishing control in exchange for the promise that she'll marry him. She strings, or he strings her along on this promise for the rest of the series, and Namor is left rage-fueled because he thinks that his beloved has betrayed him again. And betrayed him for his enemy. So that, that's a fun little ride. Once he learns that she is just stupid and fell for Krang's quite obvious lies, Hammer forgives her again. Fun times there. Um, once we get to uh, the end of the Tales to Astonish run, um, we get an interesting anomaly in the publication of Marvel Comics. I've noticed so. just through guides and browsing titles and stuff, there is this one-shot Iron Man and the Submariner from like 1968. It's just a single issue, and it's just these two. Reading about reading the issue, it is clearly the next chapter of what would have been Tales to Astonish for Submariner and... Uh, was Iron Man Tales of Suspense, Dan? Yeah, I believe so. But when I was reading... Yeah, about yeah, this... Tales of Suspense because uh, Captain America took over Tales after Iron Man. But yeah, apparently uh, these were supposed to be for these two titles, but Tales to Astonish was being cancelled. Uh, Tales uh, of Suspense was becoming a Captain America title. So apparently there was talk of expanding both the Submariner story and the Iron Man story into full extra length first issues for both titles, but they couldn't get approval for extra length issues. So they crammed the two together and it's a weird interlude between the end of both Tony and Namor's previous series and the bridge to their next self-titled ongoing series. So it's this... I've seen it before in comics from the big two, Marvel and DC, where just for whatever weirdness in the scheduling, there's that one off random story that without the first issue, your big number one jumping on point is kind of incomprehensible. Like um, as a DC example, when I read uh, The Demon, uh, the 90s one, that uh, uh, intertwined with Lobo. Yeah, the Entragon, yeah. Yeah, uh, it span off from uh, an Action Comics Weekly serial. I've never seen that reprinted. I've never even seen an issue of that Action Comics Weekly. But here, fabulous first issue of The Demon spins out of that story. <laughs> I love that series, 
but I really don't know what's going on at the beginning of it. I really don't. So in this instance, when I checked out Submariner number one and yeah. found it kind of jumped into the action mid-story, yeah, you're like, I had to go back and there? check out this uh, Iron Man and Submariner one-shot. Daniel, you had anything to add to that uh, one-shot there? No, no, just uh, it's got to jump into the usual thing about how you know Marvel would have a tendency to cancel a title in the middle of a uh, writer or artist telling a story and how often they'd have to find some other place to tell these stories because, you know, that's you're in the middle serious. of a story. It's not done. I, the, the Submariner monthly comic we're about to talk about, I'm pretty sure it got canceled abruptly and having to continue the story, it ended up in a bunch of different titles, which more or less ended uh, up the def- Defenders. No, pretty <laughs> much. It, from what I didn't end up reading through all of the 68 uh, Submariner series. Um, I would have loved to, but it's like 70 issues. Yes. I did read the first five and I read the last couple. But yeah, it pretty much segues right into Supervillain Team Up. Almost to the point where Supervillain Team Up without Doom is just the next few issues of yep. Submariner's ongoing. But it was, I, I don't know how much DC used to do this, but Marvel back in the day used to have to do this a lot. And I mean, there's so many titles and stories and stuff that still haven't been released, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things that have been like, oh, we'll cover this story at a later date. <laughs> and then that never happens. Yeah, then... <laughs> X-Men's there, famous for it. There's a... Uh, there's completed uh, Phoenix miniseries yes, that was the, never released. I was just about to say the Claremont Leonardi Phoenix miniseries that from accounts is pretty crucial to Rachel's whole story, but Marvel doesn't want to publish it. Um, but one that did happen since we're on the X-Men there, uh, there's a New Mutants that Daniel knows better where Ileana ends up bringing them to ancient Egypt where they meet Storm's ancestor. There's implication that there's more going on in that issue, but they never touch up on it. Years later in the Mystic Arcana stuff, Walt Simonson and Louise too, I think. Was it the both of them? No, Louise was the writer. Louise was the writer. Yeah, no, Walt wasn't. The artist is not his style either. But yeah, Louise comes back and tells the story that fills that gap of what exactly uh, Ileana went and did that night uh, when uh, her friend was asleep and she took off with Storm's ancestor. Like, and, uh, and did the Apocalypse uh, show up at all? Because it's Egypt. No, 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 no. This, this is uh, different, uh, different eras. Okay, but so the, this, Apocalypse this, hadn't been introduced yet. Oh, okay. But this was the introduction of Storm's uh, sorceress heritage. Hmm. Sorceress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Storm's got just as much magical potential as she has mutant potential. Oh, damn. Oh yeah, and and well, this is now retcon because uh, they changed who Thor's mother was. But for a long while, she is somehow very loosely related to Thor. Oh yeah, because like it's because uh, yeah, Thor's mother, mother was Gaia, and yeah, Storm is, like, is a descendant is, of Gaia. But they've really? changed it so that Gaia is not Thor's mother anymore. That Thor's oh. mom is the Phoenix. Yet Storm uh, was what, still shown what? as having that. Thor's yeah. mother is the Phoenix. Yes, they just changed this. Yeah. It's like that happened in the last couple of months. They reveal that uh, they well, they over the recent Avengers stuff. They revealed there was sort of an Avengers team millions of years ago that included Odin and uh, the Phoenix and like uh, the fir- uh, like a, a Ghost Rider and Agamotto, like all these other guys like that. And I guess the Phoenix and Odin fell in love, and that's where oh, Thor no, comes no, from. They, they were full on portrayed as being lovers in yeah. that story. But that's I guess where Thor came from, and it was the big secret they kept from Thor all of his life. Huh? Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, but as it stands, Storm still has that. So does that mean like Thor's getting like fired, like uh, uh, stuff at some point, or? 
No, he's probably not going to have his power set changed at all. He's the god of thunder. That's his shtick. Mm-hmm. He's the son of Odin, so he inherited the Odin Force. He has used the Phoenix Force at some point, I believe. He has wielded uh, the co- the power cosmic. You know, mm-hmm. once you've become the All Father, you know, supplementary power sources kind of become redundant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, guess I mean, apart, so. from, I guess apart so. from him getting powered up by Galactus and then beating the crap out of Galactus every time he stepped out of line, <laughs> Galactus awesome. feels hey, good about that decision. Stop doing that, Galactus. What? Oh, he, Galactus starts eating a planet. Thor told him not to do it. He like, starts no. doing it. So yeah. Thor turns around and tears one of his fingers off with his hammer. Like, what did we say about eating planets? And again, at this point, Thor is supposed to be the herald, and Thor is telling Galactus <laughs> what he's doing. <laughs> no, 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 no. We we don't eat those planets. We eat those planets over there. Well, that was that. That's the recent Thor run that's going on right now, and it's, it's been really good. Oh, part, part of it. The the other stuff's even more interesting. But we're yeah. talking about Namor right now. Yeah, not not Thor. <laughs> so yeah, back to Namor's or Submariner number one, his nineteen sixty eight ongoing series. So the the one shot with Iron Man introduces a, a different uh, character called Destiny. Um, this character in. The publication history is the first destiny in Marvel Comics. Irene Adler was introduced later in like 1980. 1980, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, this destiny was Paul Destine. He was uh, a, a hypnotist mesmerist who had legitimate powers. Like he wasn't just some sleight of hand trickster. He could actually perform psychic feats. Uh, he was drawn to this helmet of power so he was on board the Oracle, uh, Captain Leonard McKenzie's ship, and was one of the, I think he was one of the financial backers for the uh, expedition they were on. Um, while they were on their journey, he ended up finding what they only refer to in the contemporary stories as the helmet of power. And it's typical uh, like, cliche, like alien like superpower it. stuff. Like, honestly, but. like reading through uh, this, Destiny... And the master of the world from Alpha Flight feel like the exact same freaking character. <laughs> Except and, one's like a prehistory Vandal Savage type character, and the other one is like, you know, from the 20th century. But he's he's got the physical power to take out Namor. He's got the uh, the mental power to mess with him. We learn that he is the one responsible for Namor's amnesia. But uh, it's a few more issues before we finally learn the the circumstances. Um get to issue one uh we find out that uh the uh air breathing time limit for atlanteans is the result of a potion not natural abilities so there's another retcon and this time we get uh some it's wait the the ability to or the limit is the potion no the the fact that they could breathe air okay. is completely removed and we're uh, okay. henceforth referred to as being a potion that they would take okay. and it's that potion that's later on uh, retcon to being carcinogenic so they stop using it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the start of some of the changes. And we get some uh, internal uh, monologue from uh, Namor that reveals a little bit more about what's going on with his memories. Uh, he can remember his childhood. So, you know, all the stuff from the Golden Age all the way up to uh, World War II. Sometime in the late 50s is when his memories stop. But there, he remembers something about an attack on Atlantis, on the, the capital city. But after that, everything is a blur until Johnny Storm, you know, dumps him in the water. Is that, uh, that before before or after Homer got there? Sorry? Was that before or after Homer got there to Capital City? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
And this one, um, we do see that uh, Destiny returns to Namor's life, bragging about uh, what he had previously done, and attacks Namor once again. Uh, Destiny claims to be responsible for the destruction of Atlantis, uh, and says it's been about five years since uh, he had last faced Namor. So if I remember his timeline right, um, Namor would be, sliding timescale-wise, about 45 years old. Uh, he hadn't been born when Destiny first appeared. Destiny went into stasis to absorb the power of this helmet of power. And then after that 40 year of time, he came out of suspended animation, uh, renders Namor an amnesiac, trashes uh, the Atlantean city, and then he goes back into stasis to further cultivate his power. So this five-year gap has happened. He's back. He's messing with Namor. And Namor is now starting to remember uh, some of what happened. Um, this helmet of power that Paul Destiny has is later revealed to be the Serpent Crown. This is... Serpent Crown. Yeah. This is a pretty important artifact in the, uh, in the major Marvel Universe. Um, before uh, the discovery of the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos' revelation about the Soul Stones, this was probably one of the singular most powerful artifacts in the Marvel Universe. Um, yeah, you're familiar with the Darkhold? Uh, yes. We talked about that a little bit. This yeah, is, yeah. This is a, an artifact on the same level as the Darkhold. The Darkhold was made by the Elder God Chithon. The Serpent Crown is tied with the Elder God, Elder God Seth. Set Seth, it varies. Uh, the Conan yeah. involved Green with or Marvel. Seth Rogen. Sorry. Well, the Conan, <laughs> it's it's the Conan stuff that messes with things because there's <laughs> there's like a, a set and a Seth in there, and the various gods involved kind of like to play off on the fact that they can easily be mistaken for each other. So there's there there's sometimes gods pretending to be each other gods involved with the Serpent Crown, but it is basically an artifact of the elder gods of creation, Gaia, Chithon, like these, these things that are just like a step below eternity in terms of the cosmic scale. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this, this serpent crown is a major deal and it had been disguised as this lesser object in order to hide its power, but destiny's psychic abilities allowed. It's not really clear whether he perceived or pierced through the illusion somehow. I think it's more likely the illusion was broken by the artifact itself and it was trying to draw somebody that could um, make use of it, even if just under its limited capacity. Um, but that's, that's a, an item for uh, a later import. Um, throughout the, the 72 issue run of his 80 or 1968 series, um, this at the halfway point is when Namor finally marries Lady Dorma, only to have her immediately killed by rival Lemurian princess Lyra. Lyra oh, remains a thorn. She. Oh, sh this this woman is a piece of work and has been a thorn in Namor's side, even when Namor wasn't around. Oh, so she um, dares. Oh, she dares with impunity. Oh. Namor's royal cousin Namorita or Namora, I mean, uh, Aquilinia. Neptunia. Uh, his adopted cousin is also a hybrid human Atlantean with the same or very similar mutant traits as him. She's got the same ability to fly, but there was no indication that she had the range of uh, well, 
um, aquatic wildlife ability. And like I said before, she didn't have wings in her first appearance. Um, when Namor was uh, out of action, Lyra uh, poisoned uh, uh, Namora and left her for dead. Uh, so one of the things that did weigh upon Namor is when he comes back and gets his memory back, he finds out that his cousin, who would have been one of the people left in charge, she's dead. She's just gone. No real closure there. However, uh, Namora did have a daughter, Namorita. She shows up relatively early in uh, Namor's ongoing series. Uh, he takes her to live with uh, Betty Dean, the old policewoman friend from the Golden Age series. Yeah. Um, Namorita uh, takes to uh, Betty Dean so much that she considers Betty Dean to be a second mother and even takes Betty Dean's married name of Prentice as her own civilian name when she's uh, trying to hide her superhero identity. So uh, Nita Prentice, Namorita, same character. Namorita. Namorita. She's the one who threw Nitro into the bus and then Nitro immediately detonated, killing 500 people in Stanford, Connecticut. Yeah, she's, she's a, oh, generally the, a mainstay of the new warriors. Oh, is that, is that the uh, inciting incident for uh, the House of M stuff? No, the, for the, insta- the instigating uh, moment for Civil War, yeah. Oh, the instigating, War, the instigating for House of M yeah. was uh, the Avengers and the X-Men and okay, uh, Fantastic yeah. Four coming together and saying, we got to do something about Wanda. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was She's too powerful. Up, yeah, Civil War, yeah, sorry, I was... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that is the uh, main main thing that set off civil war. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this this Lyra, she's responsible for Namora being supposedly killed. She's definitely responsible for Dorma being killed because it happened right in front of Namor. So she's been a big problem for him for a long time. Um, getting back to uh, Betty Dean, she comes back into uh, the series a little bit more prominently towards the end. Uh, some extremely minor villain called Dr. Hydro kidnaps a bunch of humans and, uh, turns them all into, uh, amphibious humanoids. They got like green scaly skin and well, they don't know what to do with themselves. So they just stay living at Hydro base once this Dr. Hydro guy is uh, deported. But Betty Dean is one of these people transformed. So now she is a, an older than middle-aged merwoman. But naturally, it won't be too much longer before she gets killed. Because once once Namor's series ends, as mentioned earlier, we go right into Supervillain Team-Up. But a quick aside, before we get to Supervillain Team-Up, at some point during Namor's ongoing series, towards, towards the end of it, we get Marvel feature number one, which is the formation of the Defenders. Uh, We got the team. uh, Originally, it was just uh, Doctor Strange, the Hulk, and Namor. Later on, it includes- That's a weird team, huh? Well, they they were some of uh, Marvel's most popular characters who were not on a team. So Marvel thought that they could capitalize. I recently sat around to read the, the reprint I have that covers the, the three issues of Marvel Premiere, yeah. or, or, or feature, I mean. I actually have one of the two issues, or one of the three issues, but I was quite surprised to see that, yeah, Silver Surfer was supposed to be part of the team from the very beginning, really? but this is during the time when he's trapped on Earth because of that barrier made by Galactus and has been periodically knocking himself out, hurling himself at the barrier trying to escape. So when <laughs> Doctor Strange tries to recruit someone, he's, he's just lying there 
unconscious. No <laughs> help to <laughs> anybody. Silver Surfer, yeah. Submar now, Submariner and Hulk are basically just there in the story to facilitate Doctor Strange's plotting. Now, the story reason why they didn't have Silver Surfer so much in the early days is because Stan really didn't like anyone else writing Silver Surfer. And yeah, it wasn't was until he started kind of accepting, letting other people that he was able to go into the Defenders. Yeah, it, it was a little while. As it yeah. is, um, Namor doesn't stick around in the Defenders very long. He's not a big part of the uh, ongoing series a uh, little bit during the twenties comes back for an arc in the fifties. I think it's somewhere around issue 75, 77, somewhere around there where he joins the roster regularly until the end of the 145 issue run. After defenders ends, he's left uh, stranded, but in between his defenders runs, we get super villain team up which should be appealing to anybody who is interested in, well, the Namor that we've been discussing and everybody's favorite misanthrope, Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom. Just sounds like a buddy comedy waiting to happen. <laughs> well, there is that famous toot meme. Yep, yep. Don't toot my horn. Or don't toot that horn. <laughs> Doom toots Doom what he toots wants to. please. Yeah, no, the, the dialogue from that is altered, but the, the artwork is not, and Doom is tooting on a horn which I believe is actually going toot and he's doing it through his mask. How <laughs> nobody seems to question because none dare question doom. It's kind of like that uh, Power Rangers thing where he's like playing like the sword flute or something like that. I, something I just assumed that was magic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, super villain team up uh, some fun shenanigans of uh, doom and Namor trying to team up trying to respect each other you know they they're on the same page you know they're both monarchs they're both quite responsible for their people but damn it they just don't like to trust but there there's other guys going on in there um this is where uh we get uh the less minor villain dr dorcas um dorcas yes he's uh, a geneticist who actually has some success in being able to actually do things with his uh, genetic work um uh before going through a lot of this early stuff i only knew him from uh, tiger shark's backstory uh tiger shark is another one of namor's big bads who actually has the physical power to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with namor mostly because his power directly comes from namor with an actual tiger shark thrown into boot um so dorcas uh um mutated this uh this uh, injured olympic uh, swimmer guy it's really kind of tragic the todd arliss had been a, an olympic uh, swimmer olympic uh, gold medalist uh, if i remember the story correctly who uh was uh, critically injured uh saving a bunch of people uh some accident people uh at risk of drowning like a bus crash in the water and he saved everybody from that uh that uh that bus but they don't ever explain how somehow he got crippled to the point where he can't swim and dive anymore so he's so desperate he's going to this whack job black market uh, geneticist to regain his ability to swim i want uh, to swim again yeah no the the process seems to drive him insane because he does act markedly different once he becomes tiger shark um but yeah he is definitely one of the heavy hitters in the, the marvel universe um it's uh Dr. Dorcas, Atuma, and Tiger Shark together who are responsible for the death of Betty Dean, 
which again enrages Namor. You know, this is now of the three supporting female characters from his Golden Age series, all three are now supposedly dead. It isn't until the 2000s that uh, M11, the uh, the living comp- uh, the human robot, the living robot, um, the uh, the agents of Atlas. When they rescue their robot companion, he concludes that uh, Namora uh, is not dead and is just in stasis. But this revelation is completely independent of anything going on in any Namor stories, and it's not until after uh, Namora is resurrected that uh, she and Namor reconnect. Sucks for her, too, because it happens just after Civil War, so she comes back and finds that her daughter has just died. Yeah. But yeah, with Betty Dean gone, uh, Amora supposedly dead, and uh, uh, Lady Dorma definitively dead, Namor's left pretty pretty bummed out at this point. He doesn't really have any anybody in his life at this point, at least for uh, several years. Um, like I said, uh, the end of uh, Defenders 125, 145, I forget whereabouts, but... Uh, he drops out from the team there and is mostly just uh, seen in guest appearances in various titles. Uh, he's got a mini series that doesn't really seem to have a whole lot going for it. Uh, there's a maxi series which covers more of uh, his early stuff and backstory. But as for like his ongoing exploits, hanging out with the Avengers. Yeah, he becomes an Avenger for a little Man. bit. Yeah. Surprisingly, he ends up with uh, a strong association with Alpha Flight. Yep. Uh, when, yeah, uh, when the series Alpha Flight starts, we got the Alpha Flight characters as previously introduced in X-Men, but we also get a bunch of backup members for Beta Flight. Um, Which is basically like the Canadian X-Men or whatever, right? Or just, well, uh, ca- Canadian, no, ca- Canadian, Canadian, Canadian Avengers. Canadian Avengers is more uh, appropriate. Yes. They are uh, government-sanctioned, uh, government-supported sometimes. Uh, the problem comes is that it's they... Fancy they refuse to operate under government oversight. Uh, That puts too many restrictions on what a superhero team needs to be able to do. Like uh, for a time they were barred from being able to engage in anything outside of Canada's borders. But regardless, uh, beta flight was the idea Hudson, James Hudson had, you know, to make sure that there was always uh, backup support for alpha flight. One of these members was a young woman named Marina. Uh, Marina Smallwood, uh, she's from Newfoundland. Uh, her origin is that her father, her human father, was a fisherman who brought up this strange, like, glowing kind of weird alien egg with his catch, brought it home, and his wife, when examining it, broke it open. And huh. when it opened, a... That's always a, a bad idea. You'd think that. You would think that, but in this instance, it saves the world hmm. it literally so, it's a world saving accident um so the mrs smallwood in accidentally breaking open the egg early she thought what was inside it was in distress uh but she broke it before the what was inside could gestate properly and so it ends up adopting uh humanoid dna directly from this woman and takes a humanoid female form and it's done so early in, a, in its development cycle that this creature is supposed to grow up to become a world-destroying predator. Oh, damn. Yeah. And this element is still in Marina's genetic makeup, but it does not drive or define her. 
So she is uh, a reserve member of Alpha Flight, relatively young. I think she's only like 19 or something. Like, not, not cradle robbing young, but she's relatively, uh, she doesn't have a whole lot of uh, confidence and acts not naive, but definitely like somebody who knows that there's so much more she can learn. She's a very, Absolutely. very, she's a very endearing character. I, I do like her. She's, she ends up being quite sympathetic. Um, in an early uh, uh, mission, uh, Namor ends up meeting Marina uh, with Alpha Flight and he's smitten with her. Like he's, he's never met anybody quite like her and he instantly falls in love with her. And Marina, she's kind of taken aback back by the fact that Prince Namor, the Submariner, thinks she's cute. So they they do spend a lot of time together, and in fact, uh, this there there's a few times when Marina doesn't end up going on an emergency mission because she's off frol- frolicking with Namor and has forgotten her communicator. Mm-hmm. I can think of at least one instance where her communicator is bleep, bleeping off in a panel, and she and Namor are off somewhere else. Um, but this is one of the few happy moments uh, that Namor has uh, throughout the uh, the late eighties. Like f- from the time that uh, he's lost his last love, he's now found a new love. Only after a little while, Je- Marina's genetic makeup starts kicking in, and she's responding to another one of her race that's being discovered. Um, this is a male. She's a female. Her body is now responding to its presence and forming embryos and stuff, and it's bringing out her monstrous side. And she's so heartbroken about this, she takes off and leaves Namor, thinking like he could never love a monster. And his reaction is only like, I have to find Marina. I have to help her. She's in distress. I don't care what's going on with her. I have to help her. Like when the truth of her origin being like this, you know. Think Omni-Man from in, in, Invincible. She's basically supposed to be an Omni-Man type invader character. And Namor helps her out. You know, they, if she's pregnant, he doesn't care. If they're going to be monsters, he will do his best to raise them to be compassionate monsters. Eventually, they conclude that she doesn't have enough genetic programming in her from her original programming to make her completely susceptible to this. Um, Through embracing Namor's love and support, she's able to kind of reverse what's happening with her body because it turns out it's just a psychosomatic response until she and this other male of her species do the nasty, nothing is happening with her body. It's all just preparations. So once she mentally rejects it through Namor's help, her her fangs, her claws, these growths on her, they all disappear and she goes back to her regular normal self. And she and Namor think that they can be happy again. But as the years go by, reading time years, not in time years, machinations happen, more plotting, Marina's genetic programming is completely overwritten. She becomes the monster she always feared she was. And Namor has to use the ebony blade to euthanize her. So not only does he have to kill his beloved, who he has actually married at this point, he marries her officially during Alpha Flight. 
he has to kill his his wife with a sword that will consume her soul. And and to top that off, yep. Years later, after the secret invasion, and Norman Osborn, Spider Man's villain, got control of Shield and turned into Hammer, he made a list of everyone that pissed him off, and he went to get revenge on every person on that list who pissed him off, including Namor. So what <laughs> does he like do? He finds Marina. He resurrects Marina, and he sends her to go kill Namor. Issue ends with Namor throwing Marina's body through Norman's window in his office and going, "That's my wife. I just killed her." What do you think I'm going to do to you if you try if you come after me again? Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, Norm, Norman's like, all right, we'll just cross Namor off the list and move on to the next guy. <laughs> and, uh, what? and what's the uh, Ebony Blade? Uh, it's uh, the Black Knight Sword. So oh, okay. uh, that upcoming uh, uh, Eternals movie. Yeah. Uh, Kit Harrington, Game of Thrones, Jon Snow. He's going to be playing Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. He sure. is the wielder of the Ebony Blade. So... That's something to touch up on later. Um, it's uh, it's basically the Marvel version of Elric of Melnibene's Stormbringer. It's a cursed blade. It does bad things. If you get cut by it, it's going to suck your soul into it. Yeah. So that's what happened to the original Marina. Through the weird convolutions of the Chaos War. Uh, Chaos I'll War. Yeah, it was a, a brief uh, Hercules crossover. Some good stuff in it, but uh, a bunch of characters get resurrected. Only a handful are left resurrected at the end of it, but Alpha Flight is one of those teams. Bye. So there is a resurrected Marina out there in the Marvel Universe, but I don't think they've touched up on uh, what's going on. I th There's... When it comes to Alpha Flight, there's weird complications. Like the original members of the team are off on like the Plodex. Sorry, that was Marina's race, the Plodex. They're off on that home world trying to fix it. Like there, there's weird complications. But when it comes to Marina, Namor married her, had to kill her not once, but twice, and may or may not know of the existence of a legitimate doppelganger for her. So that's probably got to mess with his emotional state just a little bit. And that brings us pretty much up to, um, it's so massive, so I didn't bother reading it, but uh, in the late 80s, Marvel started to use the, uh, the annual titles for uh, big, huge crossovers. Uh, the first one was the Evolutionary War, which was a success. That was uh, the high evolutionary coming to perfect humanity or some self-important nonsense uh, but the next one was atlantis attacks uh, it involved the actual full-scale assault of atlantis on the surface world uh, multiple uh, opposition by multiple superheroes across multiple titles many many female superheroes and side characters were kidnapped yeah yeah because actually was machinations with the serpent crown i just found out something about that that i wasn't aware of that i never even noticed at the time Storm is one of the women who is kidnapped and held, held with all these other women. At that time, the X-Men were thought to be dead. Yeah. And none of them noticed that Storm was there with them, even though she publicly died. And then when she shows up later alive, everyone's like, whoa, Storm's alive. Whoa. We didn't know that, even though we hung out with you that one time after you died. <laughs> and not just that, but at the time, the X-Men were completely invisible to uh, yep. any surveillance. Yep. What? Oh, uh, yeah. When they all died, because they actually did. The X-Men did die in issue 225, and they were brought Except back. Except for Wolverine. By... Wolverine. No, Wolverine died, too. He did die in that? I, thought, I nope, thought he was nope. just left aside. Nope, Wolverine died in that, too. Okay. Um, 
they were brought back by the goddess Roma, who is tied into the whole Avalon and all that Captain Britain stuff. And when she resurrected all of them, she gave them this magical ability that kept them uh, under, they couldn't be surveilled. They, they, they were invisible yep. to anything except the naked eye. Like uh, cameras couldn't catch them, like whether it was a photo camera or a video camera, uh, recordings of their voices, you, you couldn't hear anything. Like if they were to show up on screen, there would just be a weird blur, you know? And then this ability eventually disappeared. The fan theory is that Excalibur lived in this lighthouse that was kind of a focal point for magic in uh, the world and Roma's magic as well. And then that got destroyed at a certain point. So the kind of excuse is, well, when I got destroyed, the spell dispersed, you know? Which is a no prize explanation. Yeah, that, that's worth because it. you know comics. Oh, exactly. Have, have we explained that what a no prize is? No, I don't think we've ever touched up on it yet. For reference's sake, a no prize is awarded or was they don't typ- have them out anymore. Typically awarded. It, it varies depending on the editor, but it's not really a thing in the age of social media. But in back in the day, a no prize was not awarded if you came up with an explanation for some error in the comics that allowed that error to be explained. A good chunk of the appendix to the handbooks of the Marvel Universe are these sort of explanations for how, you know, well, this is when this character last appeared, and the next time they show up here, but these two things don't make sense, something happened in the middle here's the best theory about what could explain it. And if it's a theory that is actually uh, embraced and accepted by the editors, they may give out a no prize, which is simply an envelope, an empty envelope with no prize inside of it. Um, It's a practice that waxes and wanes over the different eras. Um, One, I remember reading actually about it in a comic once and like firsthand from one of the editors and they were talking about how it really does vary from editor to editor about what uh is uh, worthy of a no prize yeah certain editors would basically if it made any sense and made it easier for them they'd hand it out others where certain ones were kind of you know they didn't like handing them out at all and there were uh, other editors who would uh, give them out just for good thought-provoking letters yeah you know it didn't have to uh actually explain anything but if it you know added to the general discourse of uh the stories that might get you a no prize from what but i remember it, i could be mistaken but i think mark grunewald who was one of those big marvel writers back in the day he was really big on passing them out like he was a really big fan he of was no big prize. on the fandom just yes. supporting the fans in general like encouraging that sort of thing encourages your readers like i don't know maybe if marvel was still giving out no prizes they'd be in a better place yeah true enough true enough but yeah, so um, after the uh, the great big sprawling serpent war, sorry, not serpent war, um, uh, Atlantis attacks crossover, Namor is left supposedly dead. Uh, as far as the world at large knows, he was killed off during all that that nonsense. But then a little bit later in early 1990, we get uh, Namor the Submariner, a new ongoing series, this one by John Byrne. Now, you were reading a bunch of this one, Dan? Uh, I started to, but like I said, it wasn't really catching me, you know, like I, I started oh. to. Um, so that, that, I was I, getting into it, but I've, I've got actually the visionaries trades of those, so I didn't yeah. have to sit in front of a screen to read them. Yeah, no, just, I, I, I wasn't That's getting nice. it. I mean, it, it, I could, it could just hold on to that whole John Byrne thing that I have that it just, you know, certain parts of it I liked, other parts I didn't with generally most John Byrne stuff, you know? <laughs> 
I can get you being an X-Men fan. Personally, when it comes to burn, I try to compartmentalize if I can. I do, but no, just, I just have, take it for what it is and the problem then I have critique it, it I as notice, burn later. That I, that I noticed, though, is that when he tries to focus a bit more on the writing, which he doesn't name or I'll admit his writing on yeah. Namor is better. His art just lacks. I, uh, and I've I, noticed this pattern with him in general, that if his art is better, his writing's not so heavy on it. But if it's focused on the writing, he doesn't seem to give a crap about the art. I, I don't think that his run on Namor has bad art. I don't think that's bad, I, but can you compare it to everything else he did, especially to what he not, did right before it, which was yeah, Superman? It's it is, not as dynamic as, uh, as other works of his. I no, it, it looks messy. I, I felt it looks like it, it could just be the anchor, but to me, it felt messy. You know, Vince, you know how certain artists is like it Vince John, Giorano inking it? I, I can't remember. But you remember how certain artists add too many lines? Certain artists can add lines to work more lines. It makes it look better. You know, guys no, like Dale Keown uh, and Gary Frank. But then you get guys like John Romita Jr. who do it and it doesn't always no. work. And that's what I feel John Byrne was doing at this point, And it does not work. No, Vince Coletta. That's the one I was thinking. Like reading through uh, Tales to Astonish, there was the occasional Vince Coletta inked issue that sometimes works and a lot of other times don't but yeah I, I do agree on burns namor that he probably would have been facilitated by a better right or better artist yeah which is proved true because well gee um where did jay lee get his start yep what title was it again oh yeah that's what got that uh Damor title suddenly popular again when this hugely dynamic artist a young hotshot Jay Lee pops on the title. But as far as what was going on in it, I, I did like the approach that yeah, the story, had to it. The story it. I was interesting. I just, I mean, the story ideas were interesting. Just it was the smaller focus, you know, like um, the character focus at start. I wasn't really getting interested in the characters. Yeah, some of it isn't plotted, I think, the best. Like, I like the basic outset for the comic where, um, we got this uh, aged oceanographer and his uh, his grown daughter, and they're out doing their research in the middle of the Atlantic, I think, when they pick up on their sonar something way too fast and way too small to be a submarine or anything artificial. And the only thing the oceanographer can think of that could match it is Namor, which everybody knows is dead. But oh, crap this thing has suddenly turned a 90 degree angle right below us it is coming for the surface and oh my god that's namor flying into the air and luckily enough this oceanographer uh the whole reason he's into marine biology and everything else is because he was saved by namor back in uh, the 1940s um he had been uh, a young boy who'd uh, father had saved up for a long time to buy him a bike and this one day when the invaders were back in town they've you know the war is over namor captain america all the rest are there and so this kid's biking furiously to see them and ends up not paying attention to where the wharf ends and crashes and just namor happens to have seen it saves the kid and his bike kid immediately goes to a pawn store pawns the bike and buys a book on marine biology so he has always been fascinated with marine life and has always felt indebted to Namor. And this is where the previously mentioned bipolar disorder is actually brought to light. This oceanographer, his name was Caleb, I think. I think. Yeah, he um, 
had come up with this theory that uh, due to Namor's unique uh, hybrid Atlantean human physiology, he suffers from both oxygen withdrawal and over-oxygenation. If he spends far too much time underwater without any surface time, he suffers from oxygen deprivation, and this leads to his mood swings. Likewise, if he is up on the surface for far too long without spending enough time underwater, he begins to suffer from over-oxygenation, which again leads to mood imbalances. And it's completely physiological. It's not like he just gets in a funk. Like, no, this is something that he can trace to how his body works. You know, there's, there's no shame or stigmata or anything attributed to it in the comic. It's just like, huh, well, that explains more than a few things. And I guess since the treatment that you've got me on uh, must be working because normally this kind of information would send me in a rage. So Namor starts to take a little bit more care into his mental health and realizing that, you know, there's something he can do about his mood swings. Um, with this newfound mental uh, acumen where he's not so emotional, he starts to think more about what he can do in the world. And he, given that this is uh, the beginning of the 90s and anybody who was a kid back then remembers, you know, Tox Crusaders, Captain Planet, all the other, you know, environmentally uh, uh, conscious heroes that we got. Well, Namor is one of the ones that actually makes a lot of sense, you know, given his, uh, his homeland. So he begins this campaign to try to, you know, take a bit better care of the world. And he figures in order to do this, he is better off doing it on the surface. Uh, everybody thinks he's dead, both below and above the surface. So he's going to roll with that for a while. So not he very just long though. <laughs> no, no, it, it ends up being blown, but not through his fault. He's just, you know, all right. Oh, someone's going to attack me. I'm not going to stand for that. And well, he does kind of screw it up after that. But anyways, he decides that he's going to do this the corporate way. So he just raids a few shipwrecks, brings untold treasures up to the oceanographer and his daughter, and is like, "Hey, um, you guys are going to be uh, my." Uh, my faces for this we're gonna buy some other company rebrand it and do our own thing so he starts up this oracle corporation but this gets the attention of a few other corporate types um the mars siblings uh, i don't think they exist outside of this they're no, I haven't seen they were kind of lame they, they were, were lame but right. uh, like, honestly looking at them for what they were it's like why would you just make them fenris yeah yeah that, that kind of felt like they were maybe supposed to be fenris and he just couldn't get the chance to use them they they weren't approved but anyways the the brother is clearly a sociopath the sister has been just following the brother's example but you know once she starts to actually spartan up she realizes that maybe she's not a sociopath like he is but uh they had driven this company to bankruptcy the company that uh namor buys and rebrands and everything so they're left intrigued like oh huh, there might be a new player on the field and when they realize it's namor they start to mess with him they send the griffin after namor and this is a very mutated and mindless griffin not the normal smarter yeah guy. they did something to him to change him. something happened well the mara siblings didn't necessarily but something happened to griffin to make him much more bestial um after a few battles he gets pussy whipped into being namor's steed namor is literally riding around on him because uh, a fight with this uh, pollution monster 
he had to uh, use this anti-mugenic uh, thing to defeat it. And he was exposed to it too long and lost his uh, little wing flipper thingies. Now, he wasn't too concerned because, uh, as he had stated, he had lost them before in his uh, previous series. No, lose and, them again. Well, mm-hmm. no, and like they grew back. Like, hey, they, these ones might grow back again. They might not. <laughs> it's not really worth worrying about. But now he gets a pretty badass steed to uh, fly around New York on. Um, but because Griffin had been originally made by the Roxxon Corporation, and because Namor had had conflicts with Roxxon in the past, he assumes that they sent the Griffin. So he reveals his uh, presence to the entire board of directors, uh, tells them not to mess with them, and they're all terrified because Namor has crashed their party and they have no idea why. They don't know why he's angry. They don't know what they've done to piss him off. They don't remember pissing him off, but they're terrified. But after that, Namor just kind of goes back to the Oracle building and just ca- casually strolls on in. Namorita's like, hey, wait, Namor, nobody's supposed to see you. And it's like, ah, well, the entire board of Roxxon just did. So it's kind of a moot point now. Um, one, um, still reading through what I've got of that, but one of the things that Byrne does with that series that falls outside of the Namor conventions was uh, he uses it as a vehicle to bring back Danny Rand, the Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny had supposedly died of cancer at the conclusion of his and Power Man's uh, ongoing series. And in this Namor series, after Namor gets set up at Oracle and begins doing the corporate thing, there's suddenly an announcement that Danny Rand is back and is in charge of uh, the Rand Corporation again. And here's all the public statement and everything. Um, Misty Knight, sorry, uh, yeah, Misty Knight goes to confront him because like, she thought he was dead this whole time and they had something serious going on. He smashes her robot arm to convince her that there's nothing between them anymore. So that definitely added to the allure of uh, Burns' Namor series. Like there wasn't just the, you know, the Namor action. There was this mystery of what was going on with Iron Fist. And then by the time we get to uh, the Jay Lee uh, edition for uh, artwork, uh, the real Iron Fist is being revealed or whatever machinations were going on there. And Iron Fist becomes a supporting player for uh, the remainder, or at least a good portion of Namor's 90s series. Um, I forget exactly how far Namor's run lasted, but... It didn't make it to Onslaught. I know that much. Oh, yeah. But he was involved with Heroes Reborn on the Fantastic Four side of things. Except that, and that it was one of those guys who was created in the uh, Heroes Reborn. I don't believe Namor is one of the heroes that died fighting uh, Onslaught. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough editorial uh, attention paying at that point. <laughs> again, again. Two She-Hulks. She-Hulks. Yep. Two She-Hulks. She-Hulk didn't go in, but She-Hulk came out. What the hell? <laughs> so now, now there's one running around having sex with whatever questionable character she wants to because... I don't care. This ain't my world. As you do. Yeah, no, there, there is dispute over whether or not Juggernaut and She-Hulk have slept together. Juggernaut says they have. She-Hulk denies it. It happened in a comic. Yeah, it's, it's generally considered this might be well, one of the other She-Hulks. Well, it's hard you, to say. Would you She-Hulk herself... with the Juggernaut, though? <laughs> well, if I was She-Hulk and I was looking for a compatible partner, I mean... Juggernaut's in the running. I mean, he yeah, but, is but, but he still, is a you, professional. Would you admit to it, though? Is the question. Well, that's the thing. It I think she generally to worse. Well, no, it <laughs> kind of seems like 
the the sixth one, like the real She-Hulk, kind of uses the extra She-Hulk as an excuse to explain away some of the more questionable things she's done. Oh, that wasn't me. That was the other She-Hulk. That was the other one. That's yeah, like, other Barry. <laughs> now, Namor, Namor again didn't really get a lot of attention until the early two thousands when they introduced the Illuminati. And oh wait, we can't forget about the god awful Bill Jamas. Let's do a That's, young Namor yeah, theory, yeah. Or series. That one was yeah. When when Bill Jamas became oh. the president of Marvel, he decided that uh, he and um, he was going to push Namor yeah. like Namor had never been pushed before. Well, it, was, it was him and Quesada and uh, Peter David had a basically idea of who was going to do the most. Well, that was a different one. That was the uh, Marvel. That, that was Marvels yeah. and all the uh, but, uh, Marvel. No, when, it, when they did the tidal wave thing, Bill Jamas decided he was going to do Namor. He was going to push Namor. He was going to make it big. And they did a Namor title of a young Namor. Took Salvador LaRocca, who was the artist of Extreme X Men, off of Extreme X Men to do Namor. Oh God, that killed his momentum. Artist. It, oh, it not did. not just that, but uh, the colorist. It, it was the was blue. terrible coloring. Everything blue. Yeah, everything. <laughs> and no, after, and yeah. the worst thing is the first issue was twenty five cents. So it sold well because I mean it was twenty five cents. Because yeah. our friend Gord went to the store and bought every copy he could to save other readers from that god awful atrocity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but after that, they did the Illuminati, where they went back and revealed that throughout most of Marvel's history, a bunch of the major players have been meeting together and dealing with at, at least happening. since sliding time scale wise since roughly the 80s these guys have started to maybe even before that coordinate there i think back in the 70s they were getting together already depending on uh what degree of together you mean well i, I don't think they were having some of the events meetings. that they dealt with happened i'm pretty sure back in the mm-hmm. 70s so they kind of had to have been having meetings at that point right i mean the scroll cree thing that happened back in like what like yeah, that was early 70s. Yeah. And again, after, War. after that all happened, the, the Illuminati went to them and said, okay, guys, you're not doing this again. And then the scrolls kidnapped. Right, right. Yep. But yeah. uh, they, they it, had that work. Like Professor X, Doctor Strange, um, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, Namor, Black Panther, Black, Black Bolt. We're all meeting together. And it means a lot of them were playing dumb throughout a lot of previous appearances. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have no idea what these guys are doing. But as far as Marvel continuity goes going forward, the next big Namor thing is him joining the X-Men. Yeah, and though that was somewhat good, somewhat bad. It really did take a lot of focus away from Namor as an individual icon. But But I won't, I I was just going to say, I won't deny uh, his compatibility with the X-Men and the overall characterizations of them all like yeah him and emma oh yeah yeah they did the whole you know reed and sue and and namor thing again with cyclops and emma and and namor except namor wasn't as willing to steal emma from scott because he actually had a lot of respect for scott and unlike reed richards scott probably could kick namor's ass in a one-on-one fight yep yep even with (laughs) namor's super strength scott is a strategist and his optic blast packs a hell of a punch but with him being with the X-Men eventually led to Avengers vs. X-Men, where Namor was one of the X-Men who ended up getting the Phoenix powers. Oh, really? Because of this, he ended up destroying Wakanda. Okay. Yeah, he, he brought tidal waves to basically try to wipe out that whole country. So that turned the next status quo of Black Panther and Namor being brutal enemies. To the yeah. point where Black Panther actually did try to kill Namor. Oh. It was recent. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, they, they, and then since then, you know, I haven't really followed a lot of what's been going on with Namor after they sort of kind of settled the Black Panther and Namor um, thing. Yeah, I have the uh, the Civil War miniseries or like the post Civil War one, and I don't really remember much of it except for maybe reestablishing his uh, role as the monarch of Atlantis. That was that Civil War two. No, no, no. The, the first Civil War one is before all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Civil but, War uh, one's before the Illuminati, and or at least before the Illuminati series was it was released. Because remember that came out about between Civil War, two, Civil War was two thousand five, and this yeah, is and, I think a two thousand six miniseries. Um, and 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 the, the whole Illuminati stuff was released between Civil War and Secret Invasion, but all the X Men stuff didn't happen until after all that. Yeah, so this would be before that. But I, if I got been trying to read chronologically so i didn't get around to that one but yeah if i remember correctly it's re-establishing him as monarch of atlantis well that's know. one of the reasons why they got him in the x-men was because yeah. they needed atlantis allies help. yeah and and since cyclops had done the one thing that no other mutant could do namor was like hey you earn my respect yeah let's do this yeah but uh you know he uh continues to be the uh the character he is he's still a heavy hitter he's still the monarch of atlantis he's still one of the few guys that will not bow to anybody else in the marvel universe i mean he'll acknowledge other monarchs as being monarchs like and there are people he does respect oh yeah he, he and doom do have a grudging respect for each other <laughs> um, i forget who else not too many of them yeah, not, not a lot, but I mean, they're, they're there. I don't think he would ever admit to respecting Ben or Johnny. Reed, yeah. he does. He does respect Reed. But that's basically our little slice of, you know, some of Namor's 80-year history. Yeah, like there's, with a character who has had two lengthy ongoing series, just in the modern age alone, starred in multiple other series, and still had an entire run in the Golden Age, yeah, he's. I don't think he's ever not going to be relevant in the Marvel universe. And and I I do you know, I I didn't think originally that he was going to show up in Black Panther two, but now with Chadwick Boseman passing, I absolutely believe that Namor could be one of the characters that does show up in Black Panther two. He'd be one of the ones that makes sense. They I mean, would. But the only problem with that is. Sorry to say this from a white person perspective, but Black Panther is such a culturally significant movie to Black audiences. I can't really predict how such a white character as Namor mm. may go over. Oh, what's worse too prominent is that in something Doom like Black is Panther. probably showing up in Black Panther 2 as well. Yeah. Like from Doctor Doom. Yeah. Well, because oh. what, what it sounds like is that because of you know them not having Black Panther, Black Panther 2 is going to be a lot more about Wakanda's Trying to but Wakanda itself and Wakanda's interaction with the rest of the world and all these uh, things like that. So I, so I guess having like Namor and Doom kind of come in and take it makes over sense in those situations. Yeah. yeah, hell, maybe even uh, Kevin Plundar from the Savage Land. Yeah, yeah, again, in, in the again, comics, he's considered to be the ruler of the Savage Land. But again, they're they're being so close to the chest about what they're doing in the Black Panther too, uh, as they all or or, 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 or uh, uh, after him dying, they're probably not even sure what they're doing with it. Yeah, well, because again, they, they change, there's they conflicting the opinions plan. about whether they recast him or not, and there's even or conflicting should, yeah. reports about what Chaswick Bozeman's own uh, opinion on it would have been. I've seen ones that say he would want the role to have been recast so as not to lose the the character of Black Panther to all those kids 
who love him and don't really know a damn thing about who's behind the character. And then there's others that say, no, he wouldn't want the character to be repurposed. Like, well, that's kind of selfish, honestly. Yeah, like, Especially think, when the character is you know, older than Chaswick, Chadwick yeah, Boseman Yeah, people was. say that Chadwick Boseman was like, he was so like Black Panther that, you know, that Black Panther basically can't exist without him. But it's like, yeah. but that character's been but, around since and, before and, Chadwick was born. I mean, and on top of that, like Wesley Snipes campaigned to play back Black Panther yep. since like what? The beginning of the 90s? Yep, the only reason we got Blade is because it he couldn't get Black Panther to work the way he wanted to. Nobody would support it. And the ones who did didn't want to do what, didn't want to do actual Black Panther, right? Yeah. I mean, you heard about what John Singleton wanted to do. No, actually, I did not. Um, basically, T'Challa, I don't know if he was even called T'Challa, but he was an American. His dad no. was a Black Panther, but he was no. a Black Panther. So, oh, oh. Yes, he was. The he Black was going to make it the wrong kind of political. Yeah, he, he wanted to. Yeah, that sounds like John Singleton. Every way he could. And basically, he, the whole thing was that, you know, Black, T'Challa's dad was the Black Panther, but he was a Black Panther. And Wesley Snipes was like, the, no, he was He was no, going to have that, it so that. Black Panther inspired and was the Black Panthers. John, no, John that, Singleton wanted to do so a story wrong. about the Black Panthers. That's what he wanted to do, and he that figured is, we could tie it all together. Wesley Snipes, so on the other hand, said, "No, I want to do my superhero that I love, Black Panther. This is not what I want to do." Good for him. And then that's what ended up leading us to Blade, because you know somehow people would fund the Blade movie. So he was like, "Well, fine, I'll do Blade. Fuck that." I love the first two Blade movies. Hey, so did I. The first two were fantastic. Third one is silly. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, even, even if I sell is Dracula, really? Even if I pretend that Triple H is playing Blackout, yeah, it's still not enough. Yeah, yeah. And I Triple H would have been. <laughs> well, the the character Triple H is playing in that movie is almost textbook Blackout. All they had to do was paint him white to make him an albino. Yeah. <laughs> and well, Triple H he... would have been perfect as Blackout too. He would have. Like, if you read the character in Ghost Rider and then saw Triple H's Hunter Hearst Helmsley persona, they're <laughs> yep. very similar characters. Very similar. At least we got but, great stories about what happened behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Day. Yeah, the, the Pat Oswalt stuff here. Yeah. Oh, and he's not the only one who's confirmed it. Other people have said the same things, and even people who aren't celebrities who worked on that movie have actually confirmed the things that Patton and others have said. I mean, <laughs> people focus on Patton and say Patton's a liar, but they forget that Ryan Reynolds said a lot of the same shit. Do they forget the CG'd eyes in yeah, the freaking yeah, movie? How many times in <laughs> the movie is there a close-up of Randall's face and him saying some sort of joke, some sort of one-liner that is sort of out of place, but you could tell that they didn't have anything there to actually fit in, so they just kind of said, okay, Ryan, just fill, fill the space, man. Yeah, just, most just say most of that movie is all, is all punch-ups. Yep, yep. Because they had no choice. Yep. Such a bad movie. I know, I know. Oh well, and we're the worst getting, thing is, I still like Wesley Snipes, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. genuinely, like, I, I still the first, like, like him. Like the first one, like everyone goes to the second one, but I love the fucking first one. It's like it's like my favorite one. Well, I mean, like the, the second one, people go to it because it, you know, yeah, it was like everyone first going to introduce to you, Mario Del Toro. He had done other American movies, but people yeah. didn't really start noticing him until that, and he did yeah. such a visually awesome movie. Oh, yeah. But I, I kind of do like the story better in the first one. The yeah. ending kind of falls apart a bit. But yeah. the rest of it was solid. Well, and the it, casting. Oh, they, man. they knew the ending didn't work. Yes. And even then, that's still better than some of the other endings that they had worked. The, the weird, like, the I've, blood, I've seen the, alter, the yeah, blood the tornado. Tornado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that they, they were right to replace that with an actual sword fight. I mean, you've got yeah. Blade using this badass sword the entire movie. You do need to have, yeah, have a, a nice. proper sword fight scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, Deacon Frost. 
I always had issue with Deacon Frost being the villain of the movie. Uh, yeah. Deacon Frost in the comics is way stronger than Deacon Frost in the movie. Um, in the comics, he's more like, um, if you know the vampire Lestat, you know how Lestat's progenitor had like stolen the secret of vampirism from a vampire. Okay. Deacon Frost was exactly the same. He had captured a vampire and scientifically took vampirism onto himself. So he's got abilities that regular vampires don't have. Like he can make clones and doppelgangers of himself. Uh, he's, he's much more interesting in the, uh, the comics because he is the vampire who killed Blade's mother and resulted in Blade's partial vampiracy. But he is also the vampire that turned Hannibal King into a vampire. Oh, really? Yeah. That was one of the, the things that bothered me about the third one is that like they're using Frank Drake and Hannibal King in just stupid ways. Mm-hmm. They really did. That's not to say like they were played by actors in stupid ways. They were just the characters conceived of vampire. and written in stupid ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After cough. But on the plus side, we're apparently supposed to be getting the Midnight Suns in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So hey, these characters might get done properly at some point. Uh, the Midnight Suns. Yeah, that was, uh, the um, Ghost Rider team. Yeah, from oh, nice. the 90s. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, when uh, everything was going so great in the 90s and they were seeing so many characters be popular, Ghost Rider was one of them. Ghost Rider was part of a legacy of horror characters from the 70s, so they conspired to just bring back all of the, uh, the characters from the, the 70s into the 90s. So that's where we got uh, John Blaze back as just himself, not a ghostwriter. Uh, Morbius beginning his actual anti-hero career. Wait, uh, getting the, his own solo title? No, that didn't happen yet. The Night Stalkers reunited and got that's their right, own Night title. Stalkers first and then after the Night after. Stalkers were disbanded, yeah. Blade immediately started getting his own titles after that. But we're going to cover horror in its own episode at some point. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's even then, it'll be covered in like the decades. Because like that's that's my bag, man. That's well, except for you know maybe the nineties and two thousands. They didn't really do much in those days from the horror. Well, the two thousands, they didn't do much horror in the two thousands. Yeah, well, to be honest, eighties will definitely gloss over because there ain't much happening yeah, in the eighties yeah. at it all. Nineties had some good stuff in the early and not so much later, and then two thousands there really wasn't much. Um, no, Dan, if you go through my horror stuff throughout the late nineties and early two thousands, there's still some surprises oh, yeah, there was a, and gems there. There was there. also that all the over the edge stuff that all happened that all and yeah. then that, all the Frank uh, Castle stuff about him becoming the undead killer and yeah that's an underrated one uh elsa bloodstone yeah that's true her her first appearance is not next wave it's her own mini series written by uh dan abnett and andy lanning um who are excellent writers as well yes yes. i forget who does the artwork but it's it's kind of a mix between cartoony and traditional comic book art that looks it, it works for the series but it's if it weren't for Elsa being used in Next Wave, that miniseries wouldn't have amounted to much. It's good. It is. But it's too much of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind mm-hmm. of uh, tie-in sort of thing. Like, this is popular, so we're going to repurpose uh, Ulysses Bloodstone. Oh, he's got a daughter now. Now she's old enough to take on his legacy. Like, now her legacy has been totally messed up because of brainwashing and mind control from the Next Wave Corporation, but eh, whatever. Or the, the Beyond Corporation. Next week, was no, next week. of them. I wish that comic had gotten more. Oh my god, we'll have to cover that one in an episode. Have you read Next Wave, Adam? I have not. Oh, 12 issues, one and done, basically. Series, 
But, Adam, oh, since, since I recommended uh, the Defenders Indefensible story arc to you for its sheer hilariousness, Next Wave is the next one. Next Wave came out around the same time. It is hilarious. Oh, yes. And it will make you want to research the characters used. Um, just so you know, everybody except for Tabitha has had their mind altered. Tabitha does no, not, not have they, enough yeah, of a mind. Not to say to they alter. didn't try to alter Tabitha's mind. Boom, boom, from the X Men. But uh, yeah, she uh, she's too dumb. Yeah, she <laughs> has never been portrayed as an intelligent character, and this works to the team's benefit in Next Wave. But yeah, because um, with the characters involved with Next Wave, um, well, uh, Monica Rambo, who uh, was recently used in Wandavision to yeah. for. She was excellent in WandaVision. Uh, she was one of the members of Next Wave. And basically, the way she's used in WandaVision uh, evolves from her portrayal in Next Wave. Uh, Tabitha, Boom Boom from uh, X-Men. Uh, a new character, the Captain, who is a drunk who doesn't remember his own name. And he's got generic superhero powers. Uh, we got Machine Man, uh, who does not want to be known as Machine Man anymore. He just goes by his regular name of Aaron Stack. And... Uh, well, Elsa or, Bloodstone. Or, or Madman. No, no, just <laughs> he, he doesn't see the point in them using code names. So like, <laughs> his name's Aaron Stack, you know, just because he needs brain or beer for his, his brain. robot brain. Need, his robot brain needs beer. So it's better. There, there's beer here. No, I'm just saying. Like, I think <laughs> I think in one panel, you see him literally like tap yes. a keg into his forehead. Yeah, he, he pulls <laughs> uh, the spigot like for guy. the keg and just, yeah, sticks it to his forehead and just starts draining the keg that way. Now you will both stories, Next Wave and Indefensible, are hilarious in terms of writing and art. Um, the reason we don't get more of Next Wave is because it's not an A-list title, so it doesn't get A-list sales, but it's got A-list talent on it. Marvel cannot justify paying that A-list talent for a C-list book. And to make it worse is the artist who did it has basically retired from comic art. Oh, yeah. Like, Next Wave is probably one of the things that might get him to do a comic book again. But Marvel also doesn't want to do it again, so. Yeah, no. It, by all accounts, it's a book he had fun doing, and his wife is the colorist on it, too. He was working for Warren Ellis, drawing Warren Ellis's scripts. Where could you go wrong? Exactly. Oh, you didn't make enough money. That's where you uh, screwed up. Lame. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, oh, it's nine o'clock. Yeah, so I think yeah, that we've be been at a, this for a we while. We should probably uh, call it in. That's probably our yeah, longest yeah. show we've done yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there, yeah, there, so there might be some editing on that one. Uh, no, nah, no, nah, just uh, cut out the first little bit, and then uh, while I was fucking up the intro, but other than that, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, we don't want to show our weakness to the listeners. <laughs> other than that, there's no editing involved here, boys. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I think that uh, does cover it up for uh, for Namor for now, at least. But uh, thank you, everyone, for joining this week. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. And uh, check us out on Twitter at The Marvel Pod or Instagram at, at Multiverse of Marvel. And uh, check us out wherever you get our podcast. And uh, until next time we uh, decide to uh, do an episode, uh, read some comics. Read lots of comics. Exactly.